you, the, the way craniosacral work um, the, in terms of evaluation is, is con concerned, you kind of have to do this very gentle traction and you're kind of feeling for the way mm -hmm. fluid pressure moves around, you know, up through the system and around these cranial bones. So uh, like a few days later, they, they, you know, called me and said, you're not going to believe this. And they sent me a picture and the eye had already opened up more. And, and, you know, and I work with, I've been working with adults with chronic back pain. So that can be a six month project to, to have something happen in a few days to me, was just like blew my mind. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Hey, what is going on, my friends? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. And we're switching it up a little bit today, at least in terms of the profession of the person that we're about to interview. We're talking to someone who does more physical manipulations with their clients and patients, but the stories that this person has, both, uh, both for themselves and their clients, like in terms of the health challenges and then overcoming things, are right on par with our normal show. I think you guys are going to love this one, and it's a fresh way of switching things up a little bit. His name is Jeremy Quinby. He has a podcast himself, actually. He's been improving the health and well-being of individuals, families, and communities for the past 25 years. At an intersection of manual therapies, mental health support, orthopedics, pain management, and newborn pediatric care, he has become known as a bridge builder between many fields of care. As a graduate of St. John's University in Minnesota, he considers building community to be one of the things that has been a part of every project he's been involved with. Having had practices in New York and Minneapolis, his ability to develop health networks to support the populations he has served has become his trademark. And now, as the host of the Highway to Health podcast, he is furthering this outreach across the United States and beyond, promoting a more fully realized approach to integrated care. This guy has such a cool story um, that will be shared at the kind of end of the podcast. And I mean, just the client testimonials. I kind of gave a teaser already in the intro, but there's another one that I think you guys are really going to find interesting. So without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Well, hello, Jeremy. Thanks yes, so much I... for being here with us today. Yeah, this is, it might hey, be man, the first you. person. I feel like between the mic and just how good it sounds and then the headphones and then the fact that you have a proper backdrop, this might be the first person that hopped on here that truly has a better podcast set up than me. So this is nice. I I love my mic and stuff. <laughs> I, I, I need to wire the headphones. It, it doesn't really matter, but I probably should have it wired. And then I definitely right, need to work right. on my backdrop. So I'm impressed. But um, we're glad to have you on today. I appreciate you accommodating me. We had some time stuff and Jeremy was great with that. And it's going to be fun today because the reason he has all this podcast equipment is because he is a podcast host himself amongst many other things. And so one of the first questions I always like to ask here, and I actually don't know this about you. I always... I do this with everyone, just so you know. I like to go in with just enough ignorance because I want the questions to be genuine. I, I, I'm not for the scripted stuff personally. Yeah. I, I get why people do it, but I like it to be genuine. Um, but at the same time, when I was reading your bio, 
you you might be a little different than some of the people that we have on this podcast. Historically, 90% of the people on here have had some severe health challenges and that's how they got into this space. Is that the case for you? And if so, or if not, okay, okay, cool. Absolutely. So how did those start? What did they look like? <laughs> well, so I, I, was, um, I was originally an English major. I wasn't even planning on going into a health field at all. Uh, writing and uh, I, I went to writing school for a while after college and also I'm a musician. So during that time period between the writing and the music and just probably life challenges of being mm-hmm. in your early 20s, I started having a lot of back problems. And I was an athlete in, in high school and had some started to have some back stuff pop up. But Basically, it was like just over and over again was having what we would call, you know, having your back go out. And, you know, I later found out it was muscle spasms due to uh, I have a, a kind of congenital foot issue that a very flat foot on one side. It's left my pelvis kind of uneven for my whole, you know, youth and adult life. I now have lifts and I've kind of figured out ways to keep me balanced. Um, but, you know, when I was in my mid 20s, I was really struggling and just wasn't getting any answers. So, you know, part of it for me, you know, I, I, I tried a lot of different kinds of therapies. Right. I started doing Pilates in the 90s. It's a little ahead of the trend on that one. <laughs> it wasn't being taught quite as well at that point either. Um, but then but then I it, I actually just decided to, to go to massage school just to learn. I, I didn't even plan on doing it as a career. I just thought it was interesting. I had a friend of mine had given me some books and, you know, showed me some stuff to, to do to kind of alleviate back pain. But that was as far as I thought I was going with it. And then turned out I really liked doing the work. I liked doing manual therapy. I got good hands for it, apparently, like a big <laughs> giant uh, <laughs> mitts. And I've been doing it for 25 years. So, you know, it's it's kind of amazing that I, and I so that's that that sort of shifted into a lot of different kinds of work. I I, I knew it wasn't all about body work to kind of heal my back problems. So that led me down. Cool. A number all right. Of well, paths. that's yeah, it's really interesting. I I don't get massages nearly enough. I kind of wish I did more. I remember this one time, though, and I people that get them know what I'm talking about. But people that don't, they think I'm like completely overselling this, but I mean it. It was they actually got me involved in a membership at Massage Envy because of this. The one woman did such a good job. I was I don't know how else to describe it, except almost euphoric at the end. I felt light like. Yeah, it was just amazing. Now, I wasn't getting that every single time. And it's different people every time when you go there. But that was when I realized, right, whoa, right. this is more than just a cool little thing that my mom does. This is a very real therapy that has uh, probably many applications that I was completely unaware of at the time. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot more to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and that was, I, I got interested in almost right away, I had a, had a teacher who led me into craniosacral therapy, which is a kind of osteopathic work, a much, much more gentle, actually, I do a mix of, you know, some very deep tissue work and trigger point work. But I also do this very gentle osteopathic work, which I can use for a lot of things, especially when someone comes into my office with, you know, with what I had when I was first struggling and my back was, you know, kind of kept going into spasm. But I, but I work with all sorts of conditions now. I don't just work with kind of neuromuscular stuff. I actually work with a lot of nervous system. Got related it. Well, and that's, I want to explore more about this back problem because one, this is great because you're credentials and bio was already perfect for the show. And now adding on the health story too, uh, that was a surprise to me. And it's, it's interesting because as far as I know, that's, that's unique. I can't think of anyone in all these episodes that has had their main thing be a, a back type of thing. And you already suggested 
that it was more than just the massage thing. This isn't just a, a physical thing, it seems. I mean, of course, you know what I mean by physical. Um, yeah. Anatomical thing, I guess I, I'm trying to say here. It seems like there was a little more there. So can you expand yeah. on that? Like, how did you come to the conclusion that it was more and not just, oh, this is something I have to live with? Yeah, I mean, I you know, th- sometimes there was no rhyme or reason as to why I was experiencing the back stuff. You know, it seemed like it seemed to flare at certain times. I started realizing there were probably some stress and anxiety aspects of of what was going on as well. And so I, you know, w- once I kind of got in and I started having some relief and I started learning how to take care of of my, you know, back and my body in general a little bit better. I also started getting into like, you know, the probably probably it's you know mental emotional and spiritual work of like what is going on why am i having this struggle at this point in my life this is mm-hmm. not just about my back and and some of it was working you know I, I had immediately started working with people out of school and almost started a private practice right away so i started seeing some of the same things and you know it's easier to see other people's mm-hmm. things than it is to see your own you know so i i started kind of identifying with certain things and that just kind of kept me you know going down that path but i started also getting work, different kinds of work too. And sometimes, sometimes really gentle work for me would, would be kind of amazing. And and I would have a lot of relief. Sometimes I felt like I really Mm -hmm. needed deep tissue work. So it, it, it was, that was kind of an interesting, interesting part for me. And then I I was also starting to dig deep into the, the dietary part of, you know, healing my body that way, looking, starting to, you know, study supplements, but I didn't go, you know, I, at one point I was taking way too many supplements and then I just decided that's, that's really, I don't think that's the the biggest part here for me. You know, I felt like it was about, you know, how I was taking care of myself, my relationships, my relationship to my, my body and myself. Those were all the kind of the big parts that I felt like I needed to get into. One of the things on this show that I'm obsessed with, and any regular listener knows this is the mental transition that is needed to open up one's mind to this completely alternative world. Because, oh my gosh, this is especially true for us as men. We are in a women-dominated space still to this day at the time of recording this, like by a significant margin. Our podcast gets a fair amount of downloads. And when I look at the numbers, it is 80-something percent women still, despite the number. Like in the beginning, I thought, all right, maybe it's just because we're brand new two years ago. You know, you only get like 100 downloads an episode at that time. You're like, all right, no big deal. And then as we've grown and grown and grown, I'm like, these numbers have stayed the same in terms of the demographic that it affects. If not, it's even more overrepresented amongst women now. And so I think for men, especially, you know, there's a a real big shift mentally paradigm wise that needs to occur for us to be open to this stuff. And so you talked about, I mean, even the idea of like being open to the emotional and spiritual side, did you have some type of influence in the family or a spouse, or did you just happen to come across the information? I mean, how does Jeremy go from the 20 something year old guy with back pain to this person that's completely open to these subjects of dietary stuff, spiritual, emotional aspects of health. Yeah. I mean, I think I had some of it in my family. It wasn't a, it wasn't a big component for me and the family component wasn't, wasn't huge. I think my mom has, has had some influence in the way that she, she tends to be a person who volunteers a fair mm-hmm. amount of time to help other people. I think that is part of, you know, a, a having having this interconnected life with people and and going a little bit deeper spiritually that way but i also am just like a huge reader and and that was you know being an english major as soon as i finished massage school like that was just the just the tip i knew I, I there was like so much more for me to learn so i was i was just constantly pouring through books and getting into stuff and and i was also <laughs> i wanted to solve this problem i mean this was this was really affecting my cool. life so what so. was um Let's say one of the first things not massage related that you saw helping make a true impact 
in your back, whether it's some type of other therapy, a supplement, I'm probably not going to be that considering you said you realized you were taking too many, a dietary approach. Like, What was one of the first things that showed you objectively that it was working to take this alternative approach? Um, well, I mean, I kind of knew movement was going to be a big part of it for me. I just knew that I, you know, I, I was testing and trying lots of different kinds of things. You know, I mean, I had when when you're when you're in chronic pain for some period of time too. I don't know if you've had anything like this before, any health challenge. You know, it starts to it starts to play on your mind a little bit. You start thinking, I'm not I'm not going to be able to get out of this, and this is what the rest of my life looks like. And when you're 25 and you feel like you're 75, <laughs> it's pretty scary. So, you know, I. I, I would just I just started realizing that movement for me was probably the the number one thing, and I started I started meditating pretty regularly at that point, um, really just from reading stuff and some tapes and stuff at the time that I was picking up, but I I found it was really just kind of working on getting into that headspace, and it's a similar headspace that I feel like I get into playing music so. Music for me has been has been another one of those things. I can sit down for an hour and I feel like it, it helps to move a lot of the emotional content that's going on. You know, even if it, I'm learning a new song or I, I play a few different instruments. So sometimes if I just get on the drums and, and really work it out that way, it's very much like, you know, I was when I played basketball and getting into the flow of the game and right. afterwards I just felt great. So, th- so that I, I knew there was something to that. And I, and I also felt like I knew there was something to the way I was the, the probably like a a social anxiety that I was struggling with at the time and the way that I, the way that I was sort of managing certain relationships and even relationships with, with parents and stuff like that. I, I just kind of, I just kind of started to focus on, on what I needed to do. And sometimes it was about using my voice for certain kinds of things, you know, and oddly enough, now (laughs) I'm, I'm on the microphone all the time, but, but I, but I felt like that was something I needed to be able to get better at to, to express myself and even if I was wrong, you know, sometimes that's that's just the start of of the conversation that helps to create some resolve. So I knew that there was a, you know, the, whatever we call it, mind body connection to the way that my body was sort of responding to these things. And over time, I just it just felt like I, I could start to feel the difference in, in my body. And and I, I did start kind of learning some very specific things if you want to get into the, the physical part of what I started to figure out. But I had a physical therapist. I, I was I was living in New York City at the time who worked with dancers and and I got connected with her. She had sent some some clients, patients to me. And um, she figured out that I had a ligament laxity issue, which means that my ligaments were were overly you know loose and flexible um, which, you know, with my spinal ligaments, that was causing a mus- some muscle spasming to happen. And it also creates just instability. So then certain muscles in your pelvis, your hip flexor muscles, my, I was having the same problems with my shoulders and my neck. They were all basically overworking. So I had to really learn a whole new approach to how I was, because a lot of my exercise, you know, at training up to that point was sports-based. And I don't, I don't know if you, if you had the experience in, in high school of, of, of playing sports and going to the high school gym or to the college gym and learning to train that way. But it's like, you know, squats and squat racks and bench pressing and all that stuff. Like that was the absolute <laughs> wrong way for me to, to work out. So I had to really shift into more like stability and mobility based work that helped to free up, you know, my back, my hips, my, and get my shoulders in a little bit better place and get my core to stabilize. And that was really what wow, made the cool. biggest difference. And uh, yeah, for some context, no, the whole reason I got into this space as well is from health challenges. I'm um, not really the stuff that you're talking about, but mental health issues and other physical health issues from the age of about five till 20 years old. And I definitely relate to what you're talking okay. about with the 25 feeling 75 thing, because 
I had a, there was a lot of reasons that I got into this space, but one of the things that ended up happening at 18, I was diagnosed with what I was told at the time was a quote unquote incurable disease. And I say quote unquote, and I can say this because yeah. I don't have the symptoms of this anymore. So you're not going to tell me it's not incurable. Um, and right. it's a hell of a coincidence that I started changing my lifestyle around. And within three months, I've been in remission now. Like, because they'll call it remission, right? That's what they'll say. It's like, well, this is the longest remission ever. I must right. be just that lucky, I suppose. Um, and I'm sure it's total coincidence. Right. But um, the point is, I it's kind of dramatic. I remember having this time that I thought I was doing a little better, and I was with the mental health side, and then I get this diagnosis. And I just remembered thinking, as similar to what you were saying, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And if someone's listening right. for the first time, that's why I'm being hesitant. I'm trying to make sure it's said correctly because other people might get this. But I had depression before. And there were suicidal ideations that came with depression. I had some suicidal ideations that came with yeah. this, but I, I do not how, know how to say it. It was different than the depression ones. It was almost just a giving up. I was saying, yeah. why on earth? Right. It was a, I hate to call suicide practical. I never, ever, as someone who's in the mental health space, want to imply that. But it was one of those things where if I'm going to feel like this for the rest of my life, and now I'm going to lose my hearing and all this stuff based on what that disease was... Why, why would I want to stick around for this? This sucks, <laughs> you know? And right. though the good news about right. a practical suicidal ideation is it's not as illogical as one caused by depression. Depression, everything's doom and gloom. This was almost, well, if I'm going to yeah. do that, I might as well try everything before I actually commit to something like that. Yeah. And thankfully, it was only like two more attempts um, of trying different methods, not suicide attempts, to be clear. And I found this dietary stuff and I'm realizing, oh, I'm moving the needle now with the symptoms. I, you don't need to do much yeah. to get that hope reinstilled in you, right? Similar to your story, it's like, okay, just seeing that move in the right direction and the pain be relieved a little or having the awareness to yeah. notice, you know, some days I'm in a lot more pain than not, but I, I didn't change that much. So there must be another component here. I think if we can reinstill that hope for people, that shut off those suicidal thoughts almost immediately. I just needed to know that there was hope for something. And when a doctor, an authority figure tells you at 18 that this is incurable, you're going to lose hearing in one ear, you're going to need surgery eventually, that is something that can get you pretty messed up pretty quick mentally. So I'm just very thankful oh, that yeah. I, I thought outside that box and um, that you did as well. And now we're able to help other people. And I'm guessing, I don't want to put the words in your mouth, but I'm guessing that's where the passion comes from. Is it from the pain that you felt literally and figuratively, you almost feel obligated to help other people. Would that be fair to say? I mean, I, I don't even know if it's an obligation. I, I think it's just okay. an innate <laughs> part of who I am that I want to do this. Um, and, and also I, it's a belief now, like I, I, I've talked about this a lot on my podcast that one of the one of the interesting things I got into a health tech project about seven or eight years ago, where we where we started kind of studying intake forms. And one of the interesting things that we came up with was asking a question about how do you believe you're going to get better. And that that hit, that really hit something with me that really led to the podcast because that's kind of what I, what went on with me with with I, I you know because once you've been through a, a, a chronic health period, there's a little bit of a PTSD that kind of lingers for a while, like. Ah, you get you get a little flare up of something, and you think I might be going back to that place again, and so so you know there's a confidence that you have to kind of build over a period of time to realize, and sometimes it, it includes scans. You know, I had these scans done when I was like 27 years old that showed arthritis in my lower back, and they immediately wanted to start doing injections and and lots of supplements, MSM, chondroit, and all these different things, which I did a, a little bit of. I didn't do I didn't go with the injections. Um, 
but I've, I have these scans that I still bring to appointments and I have a checkup once in a while and have them look at it and my, and my spine really hasn't changed much and I'm 52. So that, you know, those kinds of things give me this belief as, as you have, you know, that we, we can, we can actually improve our health. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I feel like I want to instill in people. If, you know, I like, I get a lot of people, they could be 35, they could be 60. I've seen, I've seen people at 80 right. make huge health changes. So I, I, I know that it's not about age and I, and I know that whatever the condition is, there's some way to figure out how to improve the, this person's lifestyle, you know, and sometimes it does include surgery. You know, if you're 80 years old and your hip is really degenerated, there might be a point, you know, and I still think do all the PT and exercises and try to strengthen your body as much first. And if it doesn't, if it still doesn't cooperate, then maybe surgery is the answer. But I, I when I'm working with somebody who's 30, it's a totally different yeah. game most of the time, you know, even, even at 50. Realistic, because that's one of the things we strive for on the show. And, and we're careful about how we present these things because a, a lot of people, I mean, clearly Western medicine can go too far with their philosophies and never being open to us. We know that. But then I find a very similar theme sometimes in the functional practitioners. They had such a bad experience in the Western world that now, oh, it's only the functional side or natural side or whatever you want to call it. And no, it, it's a mix of both. And I again, I appreciate you just being realistic. And it's like, all right, at 80, maybe, right? It could be any older age. Maybe yeah. you have to consider, yeah, there's certain 16, times right. you have to consider other options. And I, I make a joke. I don't know how serious I actually am about it, but I had severe cystic acne too in my health story. And, you know, I, I shouldn't be eating Hershey's yeah. Kisses because of that. It doesn't typically help my skin. It usually affects it very negatively, but I love Hershey's Kisses. So it's kind of like at 85, 90 years old, if I started breaking out again, all of a sudden, you know, would I maybe just take some cream so that I could keep eating the Hershey's Kisses? I think I'm going to live a lot longer than 90. That's my personal goal. But there does come this certain point where it's like, all right, maybe just use some Western medicine interventions and and enjoy these last uh, little bits here, because no matter how functional you are, we are going to pass away. No one's making it out here alive. Uh, it's the quality of life, though, while you're here. Right. And yeah, a 30 year old. No, we probably want to avoid those things. And um, I'd love for us to actually touch on maybe how what, what your opinion is on surgery is kind of being overdone sometimes because I remember what happened to me is the first like real injury I ever had. I, I did not play uh, many sports. Well, I didn't really play anything in high school. I played like intramural basketball, um, but I was, I was using substances. It was, I didn't even finish high school. It was very bad at that time because of the mental health issues. And then I got very active after that yeah. and I started getting my stuff back together and I biked a lot and I played basketball a lot. And one of the first things I did was I, I snapped some ligament, they said, uh, when I fell off my bike. And I remember going to the, yep. the doctor and um, what is that? Orthopedic doctor. And he was saying that, hey, we need to do surgery. And he just acted like this was the assumption, right? Now, this was five, six years ago, maybe even more at this point, uh, Jeremy. And so I'm going in there and he's speaking very calmly. He's very nice. And I, it's a person I trust. I trust the practice. But to me, I was so scared of going under, and I've ironically had to do that now anyway for different reasons. But at that time, I couldn't even comprehend going under on um, an anesthesia, and there was no way in hell someone's going to cut open uh, my wrist without me being under. So I had a dilemma here, <laughs> and he just he said it yeah. as if it was such a certainty. And so I asked him, I just because I knew better at that point. I know to ask doctors, and I'm like, do I have to get a surgery? And he said, well, just so you know, I mean, I mean, it could heal up, and there could be scar tissue, and it could be fine. I'm like. Is there any consequence if I don't get the surgery? He said, oh, well, no. If there's scar tissue, I mean, yeah, we could break that up and then we could still do it. I said, so you're telling me that there's no consequence if I take time to not do the surgery and it doesn't end up working? He said, yes. 
I said, well, that would have been nice if you led with that. And by the way, just I'm not saying this will happen for everyone, but just for the record, I have zero pain in my wrist. I haven't for years. I have full, I mean, good mobility. I can't, the only thing I can't do is a straight barbell curl. I have to use an easy bar. Um, And that's that's what eventually Mm. caused some pain. So seems like a minor price to pay for not having to go through a surgery at that time. So I'm sorry, long-winded story. But my point is though, do you think there are a lot of surgeries being thrown around to younger ish people that really probably don't need these things. Well, I, 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 what my point is with, with it is, I mean, I've, I've been seeing, I've been, you know, treating for long enough that I think there has been a change in orthopedics. I, I I think when I first started doing work, I saw a lot of, a lot of back surgeries Mm -hmm. that weren't helping people. Um, and I think there, I know, I know people in orthopedics and I know that there was a time where, some of these packaged um, total heat, total knee, hip, and and back stuff were were being oversold. Let's just say, but at the same time, I, I I think there are there's there's a choice that a doctor has to make when somebody comes in. If they don't think they're going to do the work mm-hmm. of recovery, then yeah. surgery is the option. I mean that that's that's the sad thing too. So and when you look at that, I mean in in my practice, I get people who come in and, and they're ready to work. And I, and I kind of don't take people who aren't because I feel like this, that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing you're going to have to do. If you work with me, I'm going to give you stuff to do movement wise. I'm going to, we're going to work on stress management strategies. If I feel like there's a major, you know, health challenge that's related to diet, I'm going to get you mm-hmm. working with somebody there. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to help somebody really improve their, their, their health and their lifestyle at the same time. But some people aren't really looking for that. They just want you to make that wrist work right now as best as it can. And they're not going to do a lot of times they're not even going to do the PT, you know? So that's, that's kind of the way I I don't, I don't always think now it's, it's, I think there are still people who are, who are making poor decisions as orthopedists, but I'm meeting more and more orthopedists, especially younger ones who are really trying to avoid surgery as much as possible with people. Um, I had, I tore my Achilles playing basketball when I was 43 and it was a, it was a partial tear, but you know, the, the orthopedist said it's basically a 50, 50, you can, you can get surgery or you can let it heal on its own. The heal time is about the same because it's going to take a, a little bit longer after surgery, but you're going to have to be a little bit more careful if you don't do the surgery, but it's, you know, the, the, the stats on this are, it's basically about six, one, half a dozen of another, you're going to have the same results, the same chances of re-injuring it, all that stuff. So anyway, I, I had to stop playing basketball. <laughs> yeah. At least that was, oh my gosh. That was, um, <laughs> basketball is a hell of a sport, especially when it's done recreationally, because it's not really worth it in any sense. There's a million other yeah. things I could do to get the same health benefits of it. And still to this day, uh, Jeremy, I am just starting to actually be able to run properly again because of a foot injury five years ago in you guessed it, a pickup basketball game. Yeah. I mean, the foot became supinated. It led to IT band stuff. I mean, it was just an absolute. And, and listen, right. in the beginning, I didn't take it seriously enough. Um, so there was issues there. But that, that wasn't even a case of like a surgery or no surgery thing. It was just the recovery was a nightmare. Many things got messed up. Um, and then I, I I learned very quickly. I was humbled because I remember at like 19 being cocky and thinking, you know, how do like my uncles and stuff ever like you know, put on all this weight or get lazy, whatever. Like, why don't you just continue with physical activity? And then I realized, wow, you know what? How much it's taking me right now to get back into this? And it sucks. The cardio is tough. I used to be able to run miles and miles, no problem. And now, um, you know, I go do a simple basketball game one-on-one. Like, I've been playing with my friend very lightly. And that's taken it out of me. I'm like, dude, you got to really work to keep this 
up. And the minute you lose it, yeah. it's extremely hard to get back. So I, I have a little more sympathy now. Um, it's not an excuse for those listening, but I have a little more sympathy for how people do lose this because it can take one stupid thing um, before you do. So it's, it's cool to know that you're doing the work that you're doing, probably keeping people uh, much more active. And that's what I'm kind of curious about, just so we can say it directly. What type of client does like Jeremy take on? Like, Who are the main types of people that come to you? I'm sure you get a variety, but what, what's some common things that you work with? Well, I, I have a I have a very strange career because I, I I do a lot of whole family work. I I I do craniosacral work with newborns, so that brings me into a whole new realm. Because you know, for about ten years, I I just did kind of almost more orthopedic sports related work, um, and but I was starting to kind of see things that I thought were almost on this like you know stress kind of fight or flight response type of thing. So you know, things that can flare when you have a, a, a stress response are like. Your, anything that's related to your endocrine system. So your, your hormonal responses to things, they can lead to inflammation, they can lead to, to histamine, they can lead to stuff with your gut. So when I start seeing those kinds of things on top of, you know, an orthopedic challenge, which is a lot of times what people get led to me, or they just feel crummy, or they're fatigued all the time. That's, that's kind of the adult that comes to me. But now, because I, because I work with newborns and I, with newborns, the, the ideal newborn <laughs> that, that comes to see me, um, usually has had either a difficult delivery, his, is having some feeding challenges. Sometimes they have tongue tie or torticollis or a lot of digestive issues. Those are all though, to me, you know, having worked with adults for so long too, they're also kind of sympathetic kind of fight or flight type of responses that that are happening at at their level right and 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 the thing that i i've kind of you know come to explain to a lot of people is new, being born is probably one of the most stressful challenging things we go through but we don't we don't think about it and as parents as cuz i have two myself you 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 don't think about what the what the you know baby is going through exactly cuz you're you're you know overly tired and you can't figure out why they they won't stop crying and all, you know, all these things right so but i think the more that you can kind of see them at, in the moment of their lives that they are and I, and one one of my colleagues actually that i interviewed on my on my podcast who's who's older asked me you know what what's changed in my practice since i started working with babies and i told him that now I almost kind of any, any adult that I work with, I almost mm-hmm. kind of see them as mm-hmm. their younger selves too. You know, I, I almost kind of, yeah. And, and I try to get that information from them too. And, you know, see if there's like for you, was, was there a moment in your teenage years that was really challenging? Was there a moment in childhood? Sometimes there was, you know, they were ch- children of alcoholic parents or there was some, mm-hmm. some sexual abuse or there was some physical abuse or, you know, a bullying by by a, a sibling, you know. I mean, I hear these kinds of things all the time too. So there can be a lot of different things that are going on with the person, and I'm only seeing what's presented symptomatically. And this is where I think our you know more holistic approach to to care can can you know make some improvement with somebody because we are really looking at right. them as a whole person. I think that's. Yes, the whole experience. I, I the histories. That's one thing that we obviously do as FDNs as well is kind of go back in time and figure out. I mean, was there something right? You can't always pinpoint, and you don't pinpoint it, and you don't always even need to. But it's worth the effort to try. I have found I'm not someone who like works with cancer patients, but I've come across many people with this, and it is unbelievable mm-hmm. how obvious the trauma is with those people, like the significant thing or things that happened to them. I mean, 95% of the time I could figure it out if they might even know within 10 minutes. Um, The body doesn't get sick like that 
unless there's there's quite a few things going on. And somehow, even with the terrible diets and all these things that we have in today's world, I find that almost always there was another uh, traumatic component. I also find it very commonly in autoimmune patients as well, just not as uh, commonly as the the cancer side. So the the one thing I I don't think I fully understood yeah. is how did you transition to working with the babies? Like what made you want to do that? Because that's really cool and very particular. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't plan on that part at all. I had a, a midwife that I was treating for quite a while because delivering babies is actually quite quite hard on your body. And so she kind of kept saying, oh, you know, I, I keep seeing this with babies or I, I think your work could be really helpful with this. And I was I had just started a business in, in Brooklyn, New York, and I was you know, I was I was doing movement work with people. I was doing body work with them, running a business, you know, training body workers mm-hmm. and trainers. <laughs> so I, I just had way too many things going on. But she kind of forced my hand with a baby who had really asymmetrical cranial bones where the one of the eyes wasn't opening yet at six weeks, which is a long time, I, I now know, um, for, for, for no movement to happen there. So they wanted to put the baby in one of these little cranial caps, these little helmets, and mm-hmm. to try to form the cranials because the cranial, the cranial bones when they're when you're that age, are are really pretty mobile. So they're not they're not even really bones. Um, those those and those sutures. There's a lot of little fluid spots like the fontanelle that we see on the on the top, that that allow for a, a fair amount of fluid pressure to kind of come up to the system and move those bones into place. So. You know, I I just she wanted me to do an evaluation for the doctor she was working with, and she wanted to try to avoid the helmet if possible. And so I just kind of felt around, and I told her what I noticed. But you're kind of treating a little bit because you the, the way craniosacral work um, the, in terms of evaluation is, is con- concerned. You kind of have to do this very gentle traction, and you're kind of feeling for the way fluid pressure moves around, you know, up through the system and around these cranial bones. So, uh, like a few days later, they they you know called me and said you're not going to believe this. And they sent me a picture and the eye had already opened up more. And, and, you know, and I work with, I've been working with adults with chronic back pain. So that can be a six month project to, to have something happen in a few days to me was just like blew my mind. So then I kind of got hooked. And then I did some volunteer work for a while and I met a PT who was a lactation consultant as well. And she was really interested in, you know, using me in some way too. So she started bringing people to see me and I did that volunteer wise for a while. And then I went back and studied pediatric work because I was like, all right, I'm going to add this. this <laughs> That's <is> amazing. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah, and and then and the, the the great thing about it is that I now get to work with multi generations of families because a lot of times you know I'll, I'll start working with the baby that's how I get introduced to a family and then the parents you know and sometimes the caregivers or the grandparents are involved and you know they all kind of see what I'm doing and say oh I could really use some of this work I have had neck problems for a long time or whatever and so there's quite a few multi generation families that I now get to work with and i i still i'm 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 actually in between two cities i I work out in New York still eight times a year and then I'm in minneapolis for with i've been here back i I grew up here and I've been back wow, here for right, for awesome nine so years. hopefully we have some listeners in either of those areas uh probably many it sounds like you're in <laughs> Minneapolis a lot more right. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's, it's it's kind of rare, honestly, nowadays that someone comes on here and is working with an in-person business. We have it maybe, maybe one out of 15 has an in-person thing. A lot of these are like functional coaches yeah. that you know, do online stuff at this point. But your work, I mean, is inherently, it's inherently necessary to be in person with the individual. You can't be... I don't think you should at least coach, you know, people to be doing the work that you're doing um, without the proper training. I think right. that's all. Oh, yeah. 
Well, my, my manual therapy practice, yeah, I'm doing in person, but I'm, I'm actually doing some functional movement work now um, and kind of postural correction work online. I've, that just started during the pandemic. And I just started realizing I could record, I could, you know, I could, I could work with somebody and record those, you know, those exercises for them. They can see themselves doing the movements and then they can practice them. And I just share a Dropbox folder and then they work on those exercises for a cool. while. And then we meet again, we go through things that they're struggling with and we add new things. Or sometimes I, you know, I just get someone kind of started on these, and these kind of foundational pieces that they need to do to like work on, you know, helping heal their back or if they're an athlete they keep having the same recurring injury cycles i can kind of figure that stuff out pretty quickly and give them something to start working on and you know sometimes it's like eight or nine exercises that they're you know some foam rolling or some Mm -hmm. some mobility work and some and some core work or something and and they're kind of good to go and they and they end up doing a lot better so it it can be done that way that's awesome i love that you mix both together especially as i haven't mentioned this yet in this podcast and i typically don't mention it here because it's it's usually not relevant to the conversation. Um, but I do still deal with some lower left back pain because I have a scoliosis and then I have an extra vertebrae um, that we've seen on the x-rays and stuff. And yep. what is also fascinating about what you said, because I made the connection myself, like I do fasts and stuff. So I'll do water fasts or fasting mimicking diets. And I also practice ketosis. And when I am in a ketogenic state or a fasted state, which for the sake of today's podcast is virtually identical for what I'm talking about, I will find that the same things that would normally aggravate the back don't seem to aggravate the back. And it's not, it's not that I don't have this anatomical issue. I mean, I have an extra vertebrae that that's clearly wrong. It's not supposed to be that way. My spine curves out. It doesn't look pretty on an x-ray. And yet here I am without the pain, um, a lot of times. And then similarly, I have found and they were very well-meaning people, but some chiropractors I worked with, two separate chiropractors said like, you should never squat, right? A barbell squat that is. And yet nowadays, I mean, I'm, I don't do anything crazy. It's not like I'm some huge power lifter, but I mean, I'm squatting, you know, 250, 260 for, for reps and it's a low bar squat. So I, that should put more stress on the lower back, if anything. And I feel totally fine. If anything, that's helped my back a ton. And so I think there's, um, again, many well-meaning people that get this, narrative pushed by the Western thing. Oh, you should just never squat again. It's like, no, I could probably squat. I think there's probably other things involved with that. And not that anyone needs to barbell squat. I love it. I think it's a great exercise. It's just fun too, in my opinion, honestly. Um, so, uh, yeah, for someone like me, like, would I be someone who would benefit from this online stuff? Is that the type of person that would benefit? Right. That's, and, and, and I, you know, a lot of times, one of the first things I'll ask somebody, if, if I, when I first start working with them and they're, and they're struggling with something like this, or they've had, you know, some, some history of, of a problem like this. I will, I'll, I'll ask if there's anything that that's mm-hmm. limiting them from doing, you know, it's, it's something that you'd be like mm-hmm. to be doing more of. So a lot of times it is like, if you really love squatting, I want to get you to a point where your body can manage to squat better. Or if you love tennis and right now you feel like you can't play tennis because of your shoulder, mm-hmm. let's figure out what we need to do for that shoulder. Because I feel like, they're, they're the most motivating forces that we have. And sometimes I'm working with grandparents and they just say, I just like to be able to get up and down off the floor with my grandkids. That's that you need to figure out what that, what that motivating factor is for them. And then it's, then it's easier to, to train for it. So that's kind of the functional movement model is, you know, what, what is it that you need to do functionally for the thing that, that you, you know, love and Got want it. to so do you, more of? You will, these are customized things. I guess this is where I'd like to break this stuff down because you do offer quite a bit. So if I come to you in person, I can get work done, whether I'm an adult, a baby or, or whatever, right? I can work with you in person in that sense. Yep. 
Yeah. And, and, and I do, you know, because it, because I work with nervous system related challenges, like I might, I might try to either just myself or even find somebody else that might be related to what's going on. So let's say, you know, uh, depression has been an issue, right? Then sometimes, as you know, like body work can actually like, you know, some, with some regularity, especially during a time where you've been struggling, or if you know that, you know, in the fall going into winter, you start to, these things start to flare up for you, right? Then, then, then we just start to kind of come up with a game plan for, okay, let's, and, and I, I'm always in, in the idea of like, let's try some little mini tests. Let's see how this goes this year, right? Let's, let's try six weeks, you know, up to leading up to the holidays. Cause that's, that's yeah. the other factor, right? <laughs> it may be, it, it may be about winter, it may be kind of a seasonal effective thing, or it may just be about the holidays <laughs> in your family. So, 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 but, but again, we're trying to, we're trying to manage a challenge here. So let's, let's try to figure out what that, what, what might work for that. Maybe it's acupuncture, you know, for some people that they do really well with depression and some Chinese medicine and, and acupuncture. Sometimes it's, it's different kind of nutritional supplements and a functional medicine person might be the right person to talk to you about and just to have some tests done, you know, Reed Davis and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about all of this, like not everyone needs a lot of supplementation, but I think to, to, to get that, to have the tests done in the first place gives us a lot of information, a lot of information about what might be going on. Like there could be some inflammation, there could be, there could be some low testosterone issues or some other kind of hormonal challenge. There could be stuff going on with the thyroid. Let's, let's gather all this information. And then at the end of the day, you know, we can, we can get together and, and figure out. Yeah. What my gosh, especially on. with the depression thing. And that is cool, by the way. So at, most people listening, would know, Reed da- Davis is the founder of FDN. So you can actually go hear him get interviewed on Jeremy's podcast. And I will make a note to put that in the show notes here. So people can go click on that afterwards. That'd be um, very fun. Reed does a lot of interviews and I don't think I, I don't advertise that nearly enough. So that'd be great if this would be probably the first one many of them would listen to honestly, um, <laughs> but the depression thing I, clearly close to my heart with the stuff that I was mentioning to you in the beginning. And and we see this yeah. too, this idea that it's more, and it seems to be very inflammation based, right? Because we used to think it's like just a serotonin thing that's getting more and more outdated as we get more and more science, but the inflammation aspect seems to be there. Yeah. And that's why all of these components could affect people differently. That's why some get benefit from the acupuncture. A lot of people could get benefit from the, um, the body work and stuff because that's the one thing I know about my lower back is this is anytime I'm in pain and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's probably oversimplified. It's not so much of a correction. Rather, it'd be an elaboration, but that is triggering a stress response in my body. Anytime I have that pain, right? Like, isn't my body reacting to this accordingly? All Um, right. So that's not helping me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I think there's, there's another part that is as we age, our, our body has a harder time with recovery and process, right? So, you know, there, there are things that sort of build up in the tissues that I think, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of body work, not just, not just doing it. I, I get regular body work too. And so, you know, like massage work is really good for getting stuff. It's, it's good, good for kind of moving everything through your lymphatic system. Anything that's sort of built up, sometimes we get kind of mm-hmm. metabolic waste that's, that's in there, lactic acid and that kind of stuff. I mean, our body can use a certain amount of that. In fact, we use lactic acid as a kind of energy system for the body. It's kind of like the, the ethanol of the, of the body. We use it for anaerobic work, but too much of it is, is can cause muscle spasms. So we, you know, we have to kind of be smart about helping the body at a certain point, pretty much past 25. I mean, really, I mean, that is where the tipping point seems to be. If you watch pro sports and that that kind of stuff, that's where everything usually starts to become more complicated. Um, So, and, and something like craniosacral therapy is actually really good for 
I, I don't know how much you know about craniosacral therapy, but it's really working with the, the, the fascial system, the connective tissue system, and, and especially that dural membrane system. So we have this, this fluid tide that moves back and forth within uh, that, that dural membrane. So it bathes the, the, it's the cerebrospinal fluid that bathes the, the brain and spinal cord. So it goes from, from your sacrum to your head and back mm-hmm. about every five to seven seconds, it's kind of different for everybody. And so it's, it's this kind of internal pump. It's oddly, you know, it's a saline tide that's just moving back and forth within the system. When we sleep, that system opens up a little bit more and it kind of forces more through the system and it moves it out, you know, through these little villi into your lymphatic system as well. So it's kind of, that's why it's semi-hydraulic. And so, you know, part of what my role is, is to free up as much restriction around that system so that that's kind of our innate part of our big innate part of our immune function is that that system does this work on its on its own all the time. And if that system is cleaned up and we don't have all these different kinds of, you know, amyloid, you know, stuff like that that builds up in the system, it just helps our nervous system function better. And that nervous system is basically mission control. So that's why I got drawn to it, especially having the back problem. It's like, I want to I want to have as much effect on that. If it's a mental health challenge, if it's a physiological challenge, I want that mm-hmm. nervous system to function as as highly as possible on its own. Because you know, there's a lot that's going to go on between me meeting with people in sessions, and to me, that felt like one of the biggest things I could do in terms of impact was to kind of help balance that system. That help that system helps to helps you know balancing us from staying in fight or flight for for too long a period of time, and, and getting patterned into that kind of response also patterns us into the inflammatory responses and the histamine responses and all these things. So the more we can move ourselves into that, into that parasympathetic response, the better we digest, the better we are able to, you know, be at rest and we sleep better. All the, you know, all the sexual function side of things is also that parasympathetic side. So if people are having ED issues, getting their, getting that system back mm-hmm. in balance is another big one. So there's a lot of that's why, you know, the more I get into this work, the more I'm helping a lot of that stuff, a lot of, a lot of kind of COVID long haul yeah. stuff right the now. One, too. I admittedly, to go back to your point, I honestly don't know much about that. When it comes to stuff that can be worked on in this way, I have a lot of ignorance around it. I've, I feel like so much of my knowledge, because sometimes yeah. people will think I'm super knowledgeable, but really what it's come from is figuring out my own issues. And so as I figured them out more and more, right. it's like, okay, right. cool. I've learned a lot, but it's very specific to what worked for me. Um, and it just so happens to overlap. So I have a lot of ignorance here and plenty to learn. The one thing that stuck out though, because I can totally connect this in our world, is you mentioned this, you know, the fluid kind of going back and forth, that sleep can help this. So is it fair to say then that the quality of one's sleep could have a direct, I mean, a pretty, or not direct, but a pretty dramatic impact on this system that you're working on? Hmm. Huge. And, and, and the, and the, the better the quality of sleep, you know, that's, that's the thing that we're really trying to get to. So, you know, part of the craniosacral approach is also, it's basically an osteopathic work, you know, it's not, it's, it's not osteopathy. It's a, it's a different, it's a different, you know, focus and perspective, but it's the same system that, you know, technically chiropractors are working on. I, I like for my getting work on myself. I, I like craniosacral work better because it's very low force. We only use about five grams of pressure, which is mostly like traction type of work, but we can also kind of work with mobilizing fascia around organs and around the breathing system. And if that breathing system is moving really well, that informs the nervous system that yeah. everything's okay. You know, if we have a shortened breathing system, that fight or flight response goes up. Mm. We don't sleep as well. We don't digest as well. All the all the factors that could flare that that have been challenges for you are, are, are much more likely to flare wow. when that's okay, happening. Okay, cool. Too. Well, since we only have several minutes left, the one thing I especially got to ask someone like you that's been doing 
work like this for so long. I'm always really curious about just maybe one or two client testimonials that uh, stick out to you. Maybe they were particularly heartwarming or whatever um, comes to your mind, but are there like one or two stories that you'll just never forget and maybe made a really huge difference and impact in the person's life? Well, early on when I, when I first started working with babies, I had a baby who had um, been born with the, the arm kind of up and had a, you know, up above its head and kind of had a, a shoulder tear, muscle tear, but they couldn't, you know, since babies are so small and M- MRIs aren't always used in these situations, they, they weren't sure what was going on. And they, they, they called it herbs palsy, which meant that the, that one side was, was not functioning. And they thought that that might, that arm might never come back to have function. And they had been to like Shriners in Philadelphia and all, all sorts of neurological tests and done all these different things. And after the first session that I, that I worked with the baby, the baby started wow. using her arm. And, and, and it, it just kind of goes to show too, how sometimes when things are really locked up, it, that, that be, I, I look a lot at how, how things neurally pattern because that, that neural patterning a lot of times will, will, will kind of take over, you know, when there's, when there's a, you know, perceived trauma, you know, and that's, that's the interesting thing with babies is, you know, parents might, might go through, you know, trying to do everything perfectly natural, have a water birth and, you know, home birth and have a doula at home and everything. But the baby might have a totally different experience than that might be great for the parent <laughs> having the baby at home and everything. But babies can have different kinds of perceived trauma from the event. And we're all individual in that way. So, you know, I always I always take everything case to case. I never I never look at anything as a condition. And I think sometimes that is the mistake of we want it. We want a diagnosis. We want to call this herbs palsy. But I'm just looking at it as as mm. something very generalized. And and another one is just t- talking about this case. I, I worked with a ten year old boy at one point who was having panic attacks, <clears throat> and the same thing. Been 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 through all sorts of neurological testing. Um, really was you know it it didn't seem to be changing anything at all. They tried some medication, didn't seem to be working for the panic attacks. So the mom brought brought him to me and. I, I tend to really w- kind of work from a perspective of continuously asking questions as I'm treating. Not everybody does that. Some people are like really quiet while they treat. I always feel like, you know, I'm going to get a certain amount in intake and people always <laughs> miss things in intake, even if I have the question on there. It's amazing. It is it amazing. For some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> and I think it's, you know, it's, it is a, it is a, it's a protective mechanism of some sort, but anyway, so, so, so as I'm, as I'm working on him, he tells me that he hears a little fluid in his ear. And so for some reason, I, I just, you know, I, I was thinking, is there anything that ever happens, you know, right before you've had these panic attacks or, or right before the last panic attack, was there anything that you remember? And he said, a really loud truck. And I was like, that's, that's interesting. I made note of that. And and then, and then, kind of putting that together with the fact that there was something draining in his ear, I, I ha- and the other thing is that the panic attacks never wow. happened again. After the after I was doing some kind of mobilization work around his temporal bone, something drained. So my guess is there was some kind of you know echo chamber that that set off his the, his alarm system and his nervous system because it was so loud and so so sharp that you know even though he knew it was a truck his nervous system just went into shock and so that there there must have been something going on with with hearing and he never had a problem that's amazing with i feel like you could probably so, write a whole book on just these cool yeah. stories and test well i'm working on it actually so. <laughs> um these cool stories and testimonials and man I, I wish i had you when i was younger i mean i know it's different for everyone but uh, panic attacks were 
the first symptom that I really remember, maybe with the exception of like stomach pain. Oh, so I you know, had, well, was yeah. diagnosed with panic disorder yep. at 15. I mean, it was, it became an everyday thing. It became the yeah. thing where like I'm hiding at home because you start to associate certain things with the panic attacks, even though they really happen right. whenever there isn't right. actually a rhyme or reason for them. Um, but it's, it's one of yeah. the toughest things for me to describe to someone mental health wise. Now I'm assuming if I had schizophrenia, that'd probably be even harder to describe. But in terms of my life, yeah, panic attacks, it's like, no, you feel like you're going to die. It's like, well, did you really feel that way? You're being dramatic. It's like, no, yeah. I, a 100% no, really scariest thing I've ever felt in my life. And it happened all the time. Yeah. Um, so to take that away from someone is that's, that's pretty amazing work. And I love the arm story because yeah, I mean, and it's, it's not necessarily inherently bad, right. To have that label on it, but the labels become self-limiting. We, we'll put that herbs palsy label on and it's like, okay, yeah. well, that's it. There's nothing we can do. Sorry. Your, your arm's stuck like right. this. And one session, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Well, and, 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 to, and to follow up with that, it wasn't, that wasn't the end. Um, because, because the arm started to have function, they, they, they put her in PT and in PT, they, they, they realized she had a torn muscle or a torn tendon. And so then she had a, a you know minor shoulder surgery at you know 2 years old or something. But that was that was such a huge moment to realize mm-hmm. that arm can yeah. work again. You know. And then and then sometimes we do need we do need the you know the the surgical aspect of this too. But uh, you know I like with with panic attacks I I I a lot of this I know from my from my back issues that it's it's a it's a patterned response a lot of times that starts to happen and once that one, the, the, the nervous system really loves to build these patterns in it. And it's, and it's, it's an efficiency mechanism that the body has, like learning how to play piano, our hands learn the shape. We don't have to relearn that every single time we sit down at the piano, but the same thing tends to happen with, with something like mm-hmm. this, that's faulty, where all of a sudden your body goes into this, you know, protective response, this, this panic response, and it learns how to do that. And it starts to look, it look for opportunities even to, to yeah. like, yeah, kick that in. Oh my God. I love what you I, I just need to start describing it that way because it's so straightforward. It is a, an efficiency mechanism because the body doesn't want to waste all this energy. It's why, yeah. guys, when we're driving a car to a place no, that we go to no. routinely, you sometimes like, oh, my gosh, I kind of forgot about – like you almost are not there presently while you're driving. You're like, how did I just get there? Because if we actually right. had to focus on every little thing we do all day, it, it's exhausting. Think about when you start a new job, how different you yeah. feel going home at the end of the day versus if you've been doing it for five years and it's kind of routine, right? Um, exactly. That, that's amazing. Yeah. So, Jeremy, of course, everything will be in the show notes, but I always like to hear verbally. Where can people find you and where can they find your podcast? Sure. Um, if anyone's looking for me for my practice or wants to learn more about what I do or th- th- this kind of work, it's Jeremy Quinby CST, like craniosacral therapy, mm-hmm. and that'll probably be in show notes. Um, and Highway to Health is the name of the awesome. of, of the podcast. Our signature question on the podcast is what we will finish up with today. And with you, I, I normally am actually really bad at predicting what people will say. And with you, I got no idea because you, you have a lot of experience <laughs> and you've read a lot and uh, you can't predict it, I found. But the signature question, Jeremy, is if I could give you in this case a magic wand and you could wave it and get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health and you could choose to get them to do one thing or you could choose to get them to stop doing one thing what is the one thing that jeremy quinn uh quinby would get them to do i'd get them to sleep eight hours a night i really think it's 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 probably the number i mean there, there's so much restorative work that happens in sleep that if and is i mean it's amazing to to see how kids can sleep and not every kid can can sleep well i mean i have i i work with some of those kids too but as we age 
that, you know, I think just the amount of things that we're processing make it harder and harder for us to, to fall asleep, to stay asleep. And then if we have any physical challenges going on, I mean, when I had back problems, I, could, I slept horribly. And, and just what that ends up doing for our, our mental and emotional states too. I, I think if, if I could get every, everyone that I'm working with to, and, I, and it's one of the first things that I do when I first start working with people is I, I make them commit to, to, for the next four weeks to adding a half hour a night of sleep. So basically, either either you got to do it on the front end or in the back end. <laughs> but I think for most people, they they got to go to bed earlier. And I'll I'll usually suggest you know getting off of devices, setting some boundaries around when you're taking emails and texts and you know work related stuff too, because that all eats into that stuff. But that's that, that's the magic wand that I'd like to use. All right, guys, that'll do it for today's episode with Jeremy Quinby. I hope you guys like this one. This is a little bit of a switch up. And the stuff that he knows is just things that I am not really aware of at all. I mean, there's so many different things that you can learn in the health space. So to see or hear rather what people are able to do from a physical standpoint, like actually physically manipulating something and getting results. I just think that's amazing. And it's yet one more therapy out there that could help someone in a really serious way. So we need to spread this message, right? Now, if you guys like what we're sharing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple and or Spotify. If you'd be so kind as to do that, guess what? We'd love you even more than we already do. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again soon, but until then, please take care.